Let's worship the Lord just for 30 seconds. Come on, give him praise. We worship you, Jesus. We'll give you all the praise. There's nobody that compares with you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We submit everything to your Lordship today. Declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are, you are Lord. You are Lord. You are Lord over our world. You are Lord over our lives. You are Lord over every challenge, every circumstance. And we just submit ourselves afresh to you today in your presence. Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness. Uh, we're just overwhelmed yet again today at how good you are to us. You are so, so good. In fact, the only reason why we're in this room today is because you've been good to us. Yes, that is literally the only reason why we're here. The reason why each of us have breath in our being is because you've been good to us. And so we lift our hearts, we lift our voices, and we say we love you, Jesus, today because you first loved us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody says... It's great to have you with us in the house of the Lord today. You made a good decision to be here in church today. We had a wonderful packed out service at 9.30 a.m. this morning, and it's great to see you here with us today. And of course, everybody who's watching us online, we have a wonderful online family who watch us from right across the world. By the end of a Sunday, hundreds of people uh, who say, this is my church, they will have been watching us, and we just want you to know we love you, we value you very much, make sure you get involved in everything that we've got coming up in the life of our church, and uh, it's just great to have you with us today. Before you take your seat, will you turn around and say hello to two or three people, tell them it's great to see them today, and... Uh, that's just wonderful. We're doing a teaching series at the moment called Your Mind is Your Business. So would you turn to your neighbor and just confirm that you've understood the teaching series is called? Would you turn to your neighbor and say? The strap line says, so mind your own business, but I'm not going to get you to say that because somebody might get offended by that. But So we talked last week about anxiety and anxious thoughts, what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to continue, and this series is essentially God's perspective on mental well-being. Does God have anything to say about these things? Well, I think he does. When I talk about these things, by the way, of course, I'm recognizing that I'm just a simple pastor, not a mental health expert or anything like that, so of course it will not come as a surprise to hear me talk about faith, and, uh, of course, the perspective that we're looking for is the perspective of the Bible. And I think that if you will lean in today and pay attention to what God wants to say and stick with it, I think we'll get somewhere by the end of the service this morning. So what do I want to talk to you about today for a few minutes? Well, I want to talk about taking every thought captive. Taking every thought captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to base some thoughts today. Verses 4 and 5, you should see the verses on the screen. The words of the Apostle Paul, let's read the Bible. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we, they, they have, that's the weapons that we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, have you ever had a bad day? Have you ever had a, a day when you felt the pressure and you really f have struggled with it? Well, let me encourage you. If you've ever had a day like that, the Apostle Paul was having a day like that when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, especially the second letter. Uh, his uh, whole context here is to do with the defense that he's making of his ministry. So picture the scene. Paul the Apostle pioneered the church at Corinth. He did it with blood, sweat, and tears. And he's really tried to build a great healthy church. But then, of course, he's got to go and pioneer other churches. And meanwhile, people have infiltrated that church. And they're bringing in all kinds of weird teaching. And furthermore, they're trying to undermine Paul. And they're trying to attack the whole premise of his ministry. So Paul is not happy about this. In fact, he's burdened by this. So everything that he writes here is to do with him defending his ministry and trying to put right what's wrong in the Corinthian church. What's also interesting as well, and this is a little bit of Bible study for those of you who take interest in these things. If you do a comparison between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, both letters are written, of course, by the same author, the Apostle Paul, but they're both very different letters. 1 Corinthians is this brilliantly methodical uh, uh, letter dealing with various issues, issue by issue. It's a preacher's dream, actually. I'm such a geek that I actually can remember every issue that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians. If you mention the chapter to me, I'll tell you the issue that Paul deals with. Now I'm just showing off. <laughs> I'm only saying that because it's a preacher's dream. He goes through issue by issue. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about communion. 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love. 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about spiritual gifts again with an emphasis on prophecy. 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about resurrection. He talks about issue by issue by issue. And it's methodical, and it's well-ordered, and well-organized, and it's wonderful. 2 Corinthians, Paul's just had enough. So it's raw. It's more impetuous. He's more passionate in this one. You kind of get a sense of a man who's writing under a tremendous amount of mental strain. So I love 1 Corinthians because of how methodical it is, but I really like 2 Corinthians because when I'm having a bad day, I think I'm not on my own. When I get a little bit passionate every now and then, I think, hey, I'm in good company. Paul the Apostle, he's writing with utter conviction about the stuff that's going on at the Corinthian church. Paul explains and really identifies for us where the battle is in the war that he's facing. Where is the battle fought? It's in the mind. And of course, I think that it's true to say that if you want to know where the battle is fought in your life, it's fought in your mind. That's where the battle is fought. And if you get nothing else out of this sermon today, I want you to remember that. If you want to know where the battle needs to be fought, and furthermore, if you want to live in victory, then you've got to understand that the battle's got to be won in your mind. 
Now we have this paradox in 2 Corinthians 10 because on the one hand Paul opens up and talks about how humble and gracious and gentle he wants to be and then a verse later he talks about how he wants to demolish strongholds and, uh, and he wants to take uh, prisoners captive uh, every thought. So that seems like a contradiction but really this is emphasizing uh, Paul's uh, concept of this battle. This is not a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle. And I want to say to you today that it's the same with your mind. It's not a natural battle. It's a spiritual battle. This is the reason why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, the weapons, he's talking about the battle for your mind. Are you still with me? The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Very important to understand that. On the contrary, he says, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Every day of your life, there's a battle going on in your mind. You wake up in the morning, probably the first thing you do is you turn your radio on or you turn uh, your TV on, catch the news. Battle for your thoughts. Politicians coming on trying to convince you one way or another. And then you think, well, I'll go onto my social media. So you scroll through your social media. You, go, you scroll through your Facebook. Boom, battle for your minds. The whingers, the whiners. Somebody wants to influence your opinion on this. Somebody wants to influence your opinion on that. Somebody wants to have a jibe. They want to say something that they know is going to wind you up. And so already you've started the day on edge, just, and you've just opened Facebook. So then you think, okay, I'm going to handle all this. I'm going to turn the news off. I'm going to shut my, my social media down. And I'm just going to sit on my own. And you think, there you go, battle won. Uh, 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 uh. You sit on your own and what happens? Your mind gets flooded. You haven't even got anything on. The TV's off. The social media's off. And you're still battling the narratives that have developed in your mind probably over years and years and years. And that is why this cannot be solved by natural means. This is a spiritual battle that requires spiritual solutions. This is why Paul says we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. In other words, every thought which is not subject to the truth of Christ and his word, those thoughts need to be ruthlessly dealt with. You can't be nice when you're fighting a battle especially a spiritual battle. And this really emphasizes the warfare language that Paul is speaking in 2 Corinthians 10. Are you still with me here? Can you say amen to this? Now Paul is adamant in 2 Corinthians 10 that there are strongholds in the mind which need to be demolished. He is adamant about this. And in the process of that, uh, uh, that demolition, of, de of demolishing strongholds in the mind. He wants us to understand that when you do seek to deal with these things, the enemy will then try to invade your mind with all kinds of thoughts, thoughts that are not God's word, thoughts that are not true, in fact, thoughts that are contrary to God's word, trying to get you to believe everything that God doesn't want you to believe. And Paul is wanting us to understand that this is how the, the enemy tries to attack us, in the mind. That's where the battle is fought. 
Now, a lot of people understand that there's some kind of a battle going on in their mind, and they understand that, but they deal with it in a natural and a carnal way. In other words, when people sometimes try to deal with these issues in their mind, they lash out at people. They think that the answer is to battle people. I gotta battle people. Every time I write something on my social media, I gotta get at people. Every time I'm talking to somebody, I gotta make a little jibe at people. I gotta make sure that I get my point across because people are the problem. It's people, people, people. But the challenge with this way of thinking is that it's carnal minded. It's trying to create a natural solution to what Paul is identifying is a spiritual challenge. This battle cannot be won naturally. And the battle for your mind cannot be won naturally. It has to be won in the heavens, in the supernatural. But God has given us everything we need to win this battle. The weapons that you and I have, they're not the weapons of this world. They're not the carnal, fleshly weapons of this world which are egotistical, which are prideful, but which don't win any battles in the end. Have you ever uh, seen people arguing on social media and think, yeah, I think that person won. Sane people look and think you are both losers. Nobody ever wins an argument on social media, so don't ever get involved in any of that stuff. No, Paul wants us to understand that if you want to live in victory, then that victory has to be won in your mind. You have to understand this. That's where the solution is. This is why he talks the language of uh, taking every thought captive. So there's this paradox on the one hand, Paul talks about being gentle and gracious. That is how we are to treat people in the natural. However, when he talks about demolishing strongholds and taking thoughts captive, that's the spiritual. And that's the battle that we have to, won, uh, to win in our minds. Now, I'm going to mention three ways that you can take every thought captive that tries to invade your mind. Are you with me here? I'm going to mention all three and then we'll go back and take a little look at them and see where we go. Number one, here's how you take every thought captive that tries to invade your mind. Number one, you've got to guard your mind by sifting your thoughts through the filter of God's word. Number one. Number two, you've got to prayerfully submit your thoughts to Christ's authority. And then number three, you've got to remember that the best defense in this battle is offense, not passivity. We'll talk about these and just stay here for a moment because I think that this is going to help some folks today. So how do you take every thought captive? Well, number one, you guard your mind. You take responsibility for your own mind by sifting your thoughts through the filter of God's word. That's what a filter does. It sifts the good from the bad. The pure from the corrupt. And the filter that God wants us to establish in our minds is a filter that is shaped to receive God's truth, but to capture the lumpiness of untruth that seeks to corrupt and to contaminate our thinking. So how do we establish that 
filter. How do we develop that filter? Is it to go to some big prayer meeting where some big preacher can lay his hand on your head and then get you sorted out in, in a moment? Now, I'm not against that stuff. And listen, if there's an impartation to be had, I'm there. So don't get me wrong. But let me tell you something. The answer to developing the filter in your mind that will help to keep your mind spiritually healthy, here's the answer. And it's not glam, and it's not glitzy, but I'm going to give it to you. Are you ready? It's the daily, consistent reading of the Bible. Now, some of you are delighted about this, and somebody's saying, I thought it might have been a bit more than that. But that's it. So the answer is quite boring. It's the habit of reading the Bible. Read the Word. Consistently. How do, what, what happens when you read the Word? You catch God's heart. You catch the mind of God. You understand the character of God, even if it's just a few verses you read. I'm not saying, you know, the whole thing of Bible in a year and all that. Listen, don't put yourself to go through the Bible in a year, which can actually become a little bit egotistical in the end because you get Christians who want to publicly put on their Facebook, Bible in a year, and I'm finished by October. <laughs> you're thinking, what, does that mean you're spiritual, more spiritual than everybody else? I wouldn't put yourself under that kind of pressure. Better to read the Bible slowly and let it seep into your spirit than to read it fast and rush past what the Holy Spirit is trying to minister into your spirit. Because that's true. You can read it so fast you can miss what God's trying to say. I remember going to a meeting once, and a guy stopped me. Uh, I was so tired at the end of this meeting. I'd preached my heart out. I'd preached many times that day, actually. And anyway, I'm going to my car. I want to go home. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm weary. I want to go home. And I'm just about to get to the door of this meeting, and a Christian guy stops me, and he says, Excuse me, can I have a word? And I thought, Oh, no, not another Christian. He pulled me to the side and he said, do you have a word for me? I said, I do. Close your eyes. And he put his hands up in the songs of praise pose. <laughs> Come Holy Spirit. I said, here's my word. Ready? Read your Bible. And I walked out. I don't think he was particularly happy with me, but I was just telling him the truth. I had a word for him. Read the Bible. Can I encourage you today? Read the Bible. When you consistently read the Word and get into the Word, that is how you're going to develop a filter in your mind where your thoughts are not really merely driven by the emotion of a moment, but you, you catch God's heart. You understand God's mind. You understand God's character. And so therefore, those invading thoughts that try to infiltrate your mind and cause you to think thoughts that make you feel rubbish and worthless and valueless and, and, and you don't understand this and that and the other thing. When you have that filter there guarding your thoughts, the lumpiness of untruth is caught. Then you take it and you put it in a prison so that it can have no authority over your life. This is what happens when you read the Bible. Developing the habit of putting God's word first is one of the best habits you can create in your life. So first thing you do when you wake up in the morning from here on in, you don't switch the Facebook on, you don't even switch the news on. Why don't you at least read, at least, even if it's just a verse? 
or you can have one of those alarm clocks, you know, that wakes up reading the Bible to you or something like that, you know, if you're not a morning person. But I strongly encourage you today to take time to read the Bible. That's where real faith comes from. Uh, Romans uh, 10, 17 says that faith comes by... I want to hear you a little more because I want to, I want to know that you understand what I'm saying here. Faith comes by and hearing by. So how can you have faith if you're not listening to God's word? Then it's just the emotionalism. Somebody says, you know, I want to stand in a meeting and you can shake like a, and make a noise like a steam train, you know, and shake, rattle and roll. And I, I, you know, I don't mind a bit of that every now and then, but don't tell me that you're going to get a whole lot of faith in a meeting like that. Where you will get faith is by the daily, consistent reading of the word, catching God's heart. Now, I know this is not glam, but I think I'm saying some things today that will help you. Guard your mind by sifting your thoughts through the filter of God's word. Have a think about that. Number two, how do you take every thought captive? Number two, you prayerfully submit your thoughts to Christ's authority. So those thoughts that are coming into my mind and, and how often do we just believe the first thing that comes into our mind? How, how is it, for example, how is it that uh, you could do something? You, you could be the preacher here today, for example. You could come up here and preach. And nine people will say to you, fantastic. And one person will say, you were rubbish. And what do you do? You'll go home and you will ruminate over the one person who said, you were rubbish. You'll say, it's not the confidence out of me. I mean, you'll forget the 10 people said you were flipping brilliant. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? One person, and I think the reason why that one person has power is because it feeds into a fear that you already have in your mind that you don't think you're very good anyway, and you don't think that God could use you anyway. And that has just confirmed, yeah, I am rubbish, and I'm so afraid. And what we've got to do is sift that out. Don't give it power. Your thoughts are not your authority. God's word is your authority. And we need to make sure that every thought that comes into our mind is absolutely submitted to Christ's authority. How do we submit those thoughts? I think prayer is the means by which we do it. You've got to remember, of course, that prayer is a dialogue and not a monologue. So in other words, it's a two-way conversation. It means that it's me talking to God. It's also giving God the opportunity to talk to me. So when I pray and I submit my thoughts to God, I am giving God permission to speak into my thought life. Ultimately, Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And if that is true, that means he's the Lord of our thought life. If he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And so therefore we need to submit every thought to his lordship. Lord, you are the Lord of my uh, thoughts. This really helps us, especially when we are experiencing anxiety and worry. And, and for those of you who struggle with these things, and I was very open and honest with you last week about some of the struggles that I've had with those things, you can go and watch the message for yourself. But what I find is that when I experience those things, I question it. And, and you, you, kind of, you kind of wonder afterwards, you think, what am I even worrying about? What am I even stressed about? What, what am I anxious about? Lord, I, I don't understand exactly what's going on here, but I know that you don't want me to be worried. So whatever is causing me to be worried, I am now submitting the thoughts that are causing that to you now so that I won't live like that any longer. 
This is how we demolish the strongholds. It's in an atmosphere of quiet prayer where strongholds in your mind can be demolished. It's not by shouting and screaming and rebuking them in the name of Jesus and saying the name of Jesus 20 or 30 different ways in the hope that one of them's anointed. We must not underestimate quiet prayer. Lord, I submit this to you. This does not, I, I often find that it was like at school, the, 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 the people who talked tough were never the toughest. The, I went to an old boys school and it was rough, believe me. And you always watched out for those guys who never made threats. You always knew that if they were to enter into battle, you, there was no getting out of that one. So I was always nice to the guys who were quiet. The big, the big loud mouths, you put them under a little bit of stress and you do a bit of trash talk back. How many of you remember this from your school days? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they shut up after a while because they weren't really that tough. I, I want to say, don't underestimate the power of quiet prayer in the presence of God. When you find yourself worrying and anxious in a moment of quiet prayer, submit it to God. And submit it to the authority of Jesus. Coming under the authority of God's kingship is the most powerful protection that you and I have when the enemy tries to attack us with wrong thinking. There's a little verse in James chapter 4 verse 7 which I've heard quoted many times but I think it's often quoted wrong. And people say, and they quote it, and they say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But they miss out the first part, which is utterly crucial. Because the first part of the verse is the key. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you don't get the first part right, none of the rest of the verse makes any sense. You mean to tell me that we are strong enough to face the devil ourselves none of us are we're none of us are that strong that we're no match for the devil in our natural selves but we've got to remember this is not a natural battle this is a spiritual battle and the secret to winning this spiritual battle starts with surrender this is the paradox the upside down kingdom that you and I are a part of if you want to win the first place you've got to start is in the place of surrender not to your enemy but to the kingship of Christ Lord, I surrender to you. I submit myself to you. You are the king and I am your servant and I submit my thinking to you. And when you do that, watch what God does. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And Paul is trying to encourage us, even as he's facing his own mental battles in 2 Corinthians, to recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on here. Number three, are you still with me? Yeah. If you want to take every thought captive in your life, then you've got to remember that when it comes to this spiritual battle, your best defense is offense. Uh, what do I mean by that? Am I encouraging you to be offensive? Well, in the <laughs> let me clarify this. I am not suggesting that you go around just deliberately offending everybody afterwards, thinking, this is, sorry, it's a spiritual battle. Don't take it personally, you Egypt. I'm not talking about that kind of offense. I'm talking about making sure that you are not passively accepting every thought that seeks to infiltrate your mind. So this is what Paul means when he begins 2 Corinthians 10 and he, he starts off and he says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. That's the natural. I'm going to be, I'm a nice guy naturally and, and may I long continue to be a nice guy. In fact, if you look at the context of 2 Corinthians, some people really tried to undermine Paul because he thought he was just too nice a guy. 
They said, they said, he's unimpressive when we talk to him. He talks about this. Go and read it, 2 Corinthians 10 for yourself. Paul says, yeah, I'm, and I'm not going to change for anybody. I'm always going to be a nice guy, naturally. I'm always going to seek to be gentle, and I'm always going to seek to be gracious. He said, but when it comes to this spiritual battle, I'm not a nice guy. And, you know, I want to encourage you, in the natural, stay gracious and stay gentle. But you see, when it comes to your spiritual battle for your mind, don't be gracious and don't be gentle. You've got to be ruthless with the thoughts that try to infiltrate your mind. This is a spiritual battle for your mind. Paul is unwilling to be passive about this or accepting of wrong thinking that tries to infiltrate his mind. Hence the language of demolishing strongholds. And he says we all have the authority to do that. And taking captive, that's the language of warfare, right? I take captive those thoughts which seek to infiltrate my mind. Thoughts which are not submitted to Christ. Thoughts which are contrary to Christ. He said I'm not having any of it. I'm not going to tolerate that for one moment. I'm going to take them captive. Your best defense is found in offense. Your best defense is to guard your mind intentionally. You can't just sit back and feed your mind with junk and then expect your thinking to be right. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that today. You can't just sit back and feed your mind with junk and then expect your thinking to be right. And we do. Let's be honest. We feed our minds with so much junk. And let's be honest. There's no shortage of junk available. It can be on music. You say, I want to listen to music. And you're listening to these lyrics. Somebody wrote those lyrics, probably when they were high on drugs. And we think it's all great. And they, didn't even, they don't even know what they were writing about, let alone us. And we're sitting listening to that. And we're feeding our minds with it. And I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you. Be absolutely ruthless with that stuff. Why would you feed your mind with thinking? That is absolutely off the wall and often contrary to God's word. So if you feed your mind with junk, why would our thinking ever be right? That's why I'm trying to encourage you today to feed your mind with the truth of God's word. And what happens when you feed your mind with the truth of God's word? Well, here's what religion tries to do. Religion tries to pile a whole load of guilt on you. If religion were to open up a travel agency, it would be guilt trips. That's what it would be called. Your life would just be one big darn guilt trip. Just walking around all day long, I'm not good enough. And this is exactly where the enemy wants you to be. That's why the enemy loves religion. Nothing better for the enemy than a, a guilt-driven Christian who does everything they do. They worship and they, they do it. Oh, I feel guilty. I better raise my hand. And that, this is not what God's looking for. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength, and that's what God's looking for. Not guilt. It's a heart of love, liberated, free. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And I believe that this freedom has to have an application to your mind. Don't feed your mind with junk that makes you feel valueless and and unloved and left behind and worthless. And then anybody comes along and just says a little word and you think, yeah, they're right, I am worthless. I think that's the reason why people go off and they, it's peer pressure, they're doing all the stuff their friends are doing, not because they want to do it, but because they feel pressurized into doing it. Because there, at least I have a little bit of value and I feel like the same as everybody else. Well, I want to encourage you. This Irish pastor wants to encourage you to have a bit of courage. 
Stand up and be the person that God's called you to be. You are totally loved. You're totally loved by the Almighty. What a thought. And I want to I learn to live in that love. That's where security is found. Don't just accept the first thought that comes into your mind. So when you experience comments that are nasty and mean, I, I think this is uh, the truth on uh, social media sometimes. I don't know, uh, I did this thing where I had a Facebook account and then I closed it down a few years ago and then I opened it up again. I thought I'll give them a second chance. And then I, I've made the mistake of letting anybody and everybody become a friend on Facebook. So, I, so Facebook, I don't even, they're called friends. I don't even know who they are, most of them. And so I, I put a little comment up recently. It was a very innocent little comment uh, about my family here. My family, we're having a little walk and we're just loving it. Somebody came on out of nowhere, put the nastiest, most mean spirit comment on there, personally attacking me and my little family. So my, I'm Irish, and if I wanted to, listen, I love a fight. <laughs> I love a fight. When I was at school, I was never... You know, but I could cut people down to size with words. I could, I could humiliate bullies with words. I love it. I loved it. I'm saved now. So there's a little part of me that thinks I could go on there and I could really, I could really humiliate this person. But you know what I did? I just uh, uh, delete, unfriend, block. That's it. You'll never have the opportunity to speak like that into my life ever again. And I think that that's the way that God wants it to be. It's a little metaphor taking every thought captive. You don't have any authority over my life. So I'm not going to give you attention. I'm not going to give it time. I've got too many things to do for Jesus. I want to live my life for Jesus. I'm not going to be a, you know, a keyboard warrior. I'm not going to be on there arguing with people day in and day out. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to waste my time doing that. I'm taking every thought captive. I want my mind to be saturated, not with a bunch of conspiracy theories which somebody cooked up in their own toilet who's never read a book in their life. And yet we give that authority. How dare we do that? And when we have access to the word of God, why are we not saturating our minds with that? I want to encourage you today. Come on, your best defense is offense. Don't be nice with invading thoughts, but incarcerate them. I love the language Paul speaks here. Take them captive. Put them in prison. Make them obedient to Christ. You don't have authority over my life because Jesus is the authority over my life. He is the Lord of my life. Your best defense is offense. And I think that this is really important. So, to summarize this message today, and you've listened wonderfully well. Are you still with me here? I'm trying to give you a little bit of teaching I'm trying to give you some teaching that you can go away and have a think about today because this is where the battle is fought. You want to know where the battle's fought is in your mind. How do you take every thought captive? I've given you three things based on 2 Corinthians 10. One, guard your mind by sifting your thoughts through the filter of God's word. Read the Bible. Number two, prayerfully submit your thoughts to Christ's authority. You are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my thoughts. Any invading thought is totally subject to your kingship. Number three, remember that the best defense 
is offense. I'm not going to be passive and just little, let little thoughts filter through. No, 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 no. Those thoughts are not going to have any influence in my mind, in my thinking. This is a spiritual battle. And the weapons that God has given me are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can you say amen to this today? Well, I've given you the word. Would you like to stand to your feet with me just for a moment or two? I've given you the word, and I want you to go today, and will you do something? Will you go and read 2 Corinthians 10 by the end of today? Will you do that? Will you go and just meditate on 2 Corinthians 10 and think about the word? And then when you wake up tomorrow morning, can I give you a little challenge? Before you do anything else, somehow... Whatever way you do it, whether it's an audio version or on your uh, Google or a good old-fashioned paper version of the Bible. I was saying in the first service today, I kind of like it because when I hear the page crunching, it makes me feel a little closer to Jesus. I know that that's totally subjective. But I, as I turn the page over, I say, do you hear that, Lord? I'm here. And I, just, I, wanna, and I, I read a little passage from the Bible every day. And I give the Holy Spirit something to work with so that every negative thought is challenged by the truth of God's Word. I believe that what I'm saying today will cause you to really know victory in your thinking and that uh, God wants us to live in victory. Can you say amen to this today? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's had an ear to hear what your Word uh, is saying to us today. And I just pray now that you will seal your word into every heart, into every spirit. That uh, those who are struggling with thought life, I pray that uh, today they will learn what it is to submit every thought to your authority. There are people here today and they're struggling with impure thoughts. And today, I pray that you will help us to catch what you have told us in your word in 2 Corinthians 10, that the weapons that we have are not the weapons of this world, but they are supernatural weapons that demolish strongholds. And I pray that we'll learn to think how you want us to think. And I pray that every thought will be subject to your word. We love you today, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that when we mess it up, you never mess it up. Thank you that when we walk away, you never walk away. In fact, uh, even as we were singing that song a little earlier on, we're thinking of the prodigal son, that when the prodigal son walked, you ran. It wasn't the prodigal who ran. It was the father who ran. And you've always been running after us. Your grace has been running after us. And we're so grateful for the goodness of God in this room today. Is anybody here glad for God's goodness today? Can you say amen to this? Come on, let's sing and thank God for his goodness all my life.